Like many of you, I'm sure, I kind of look back on my student years now, and it, it kind of becomes clear to me that I perhaps wasn't the most uh, diligent of students, you know. I really could have perhaps been a, a bit more conscientious about attending classes or a bit more conscientious about handing in work on time. And that has really brought home to me when I remember an exam that I sat in my final year of university. Uh, the course was something about a conflict in the Middle East, okay? And I really had not been going to, I really hadn't been going to the, co- the course at all. And now here I was, you know, and I was sort of sitting in the exam hall and I was about to turn over the paper, you know, as in really, uh, I had no idea what sort of thing I was going to be asked. And then it happened, you know, then I sort of turned over the question paper and I could not believe what I saw. Because there it was, first question, okay, mandatory question. Write an essay on how you would solve the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And I just couldn't believe it, you know, and I immediately regretted my truancy. Well, it's, of course it's true, isn't it, that, that that conflict is still kind of raging today, isn't it? It's yet to be solved. And, and even as we sit here in the church just now, we know that most likely on our news, on, the, on our TVs, there's going to be news reports of fighting over the question of whose land is it? A question of who owns that land, that strip land in Palestine. Well, tonight I'm sure you'll be relieved to know that we are not going to try and sort of solve the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. We're not even going to really mention anything about it. But we should note that, look at this, think about this chapter. It's incredibly apt, isn't it? Appropriately here, we come a portion of scripture tonight that deals with the same issue. It's a portion of scripture that deals with the issue of ownership, land ownership, in the country of Palestine, Israel. So, okay, in a minute we'll do what we do and we will look at a few points from this portion of scripture, this chapter. But you will have noticed, because I struggled to read them, that there was a list of names at the end of chapter 22, isn't there? A list of names, Nahor's sons. Now, we're not going to look at that or say much about that. We're not going to look at it in any great detail. Other than just to say that in amongst that list of Nahor's sons, you find a woman's name. What's the point of the list? That list there is preparing us, the reader, for what is going to happen in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 24, when, what happens? Abraham's son Isaac meets his wife, Rebecca. So that's the list, that's why it's there. But let's get, let's get into chapter 23, and let's note a first heading here, okay? We see in this chapter, think about this, we see in this chapter, the blessing of God experienced through Grief. The blessing of God experienced through grief. Okay. The first thing that we've got to sort of consider about the chapter here is surely the death of Sarah. This is how the passage begins. It begins with the passing, the death of this woman, Sarah. Now, Sarah, given the fact that Sarah has been one of the sort of main characters of our sermon series over the last couple of months, I mean, she's been a sort of pivotal part of everything that we've seen 
We, we should stop tonight, shouldn't we, just for a moment and consider Sarah and consider her life. And uh, what a life it was, wasn't it? Sarah's life. What a woman she was. And she is not just like one of the sort of great women of the Pentateuch. She is one of the great characters of the Pentateuch. Now think about her life, okay? Here is a woman who spends decade after decade after decade being shamed and ridiculed and bullied. Why? Because she's infertile. She goes through that for donkey's years, right? Then, what do we see? She is a woman who gives birth at the age of, can you remember? 90 years old, all right? Then think about this. She is a woman who not only finds herself in a king's harem, disowned by her husband, but she finds herself in a king's harem, disowned by her husband, twice. Okay, what a woman. What a, what a life Sarah led. But it was a life that inevitably came to an end. So Sarah dies. But we should also notice Abraham's grief. Now we're told a couple of words here. We're told that Abraham mourned and he wept. Now, we in the West, in the Western world, what we do, you know, you say somebody was mourning and weeping. We chuck those things together, don't we? You know, think, okay, Abraham's distraught, he's crying. You know? Well, that's true. Of course he was. But what this means here is that, yes, he's crying and he's distraught, but there was also that formal mourning process. So what we're thinking about here is Abraham, this old man, and he's older. What, Sarah's 127 years old? He's older than that. And he's cut his beard. And he's dressed in sackcloth. And he's fasting. Isn't that a poignant thought, isn't it? This guy, he's our hero. I mean, he's, he's the guy that we have followed for chapter after chapter. And the ups and the downs and, and his faith and his doubt and his problems and wrestling. Here he is and he's crying. And he's standing over the grave of the woman he loves. He's standing over the grave of the woman he has spent his whole life with. But what is it that we should be thinking about what should we be considering? Well, if we're bold, I think we could probably suggest that the NIV title that we've got in the church pew Bibles here isn't great. Do you see what it says? The NIV title. It says that this chapter is about the death of Sarah. Now, I think we could dispute that. I mean, we obviously know that that happens in the chapter. But hear this, get this, there is a much, much bigger picture than Sarah's death here. Ultimately, this chapter, it's not so much about Sarah's death. Ultimately, this chapter is about how Abraham, in getting a burial plot for Sarah, he secures the legal rights to much of the promised land. It's not about Sarah's death. You follow me? Not so much about Sarah's death as it is about Abraham securing the rights to this big field, part of the land promised to him by God. Now, we've seen something like that. Do you remember that sort of treaty with Abimelech? Remember that? And remember Abraham secured a well 
Okay, we've seen that sort of thing before. He's, he's got a well, but in some ways you're like, well, you know, okay, that's fine, man, you've got a well, but that's not, that's not great, is it? I mean, it's a well, and it's on somebody else's land. But you see, this is much more significant, isn't it? I mean, this is much bigger. Here, Abraham is getting a huge field. Abraham is getting a substantial proportion of what God has promised would be his. And so, follow me in this. When we see the securement of the land, and we look at Sarah's death in light of that, do you see the lesson that we should learn in Genesis chapter 23? We've got here advance into God's blessing. You know, the securement of the land. We've got advance into God's blessing coming through the grief and the loss and the tragedy of losing a loved one. His blessing through grief. Now, I don't know some of you, but I, I am sure that, that, that we have all um, sort of been in that experience and that misery where we have been at a funeral of somebody that, that, that we care for, that we've been in that place uh, of a funeral of a loved one. Um, I was, I was in, in that place um, a couple of years ago, you know, and you're going through that, you're sitting there in that funeral and, you know, you've seen all the sort of tears and you've seen the pain and you've seen the, 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 the heartache. And, and it's true, isn't it? Very often when that happens, in that funeral situation, you begin to question God. And, and you consider death and you sort of think, well, Lord, why would you al- allow the emptiness, you know, that hollowness to happen, the pain? Could there not, Lord God, be another way? Well, as we consider death tonight, we look at Sarah's death. There's a couple of things that we must hold on to. There's, there's a couple of things that we must remember as Christians. One, death is not because of God's inability. You know, death is not because of, of, of somehow God um, being unable to, to do something. It's not about God's wickedness either. We have to remember that death is because of us. It is because of man's sin. We are the reason for this horrific plague across humanity. I mean, we are never, ever, ever so clearly confronted with the consequences of, of sin as we are when we, like Abraham, are standing over the grave of a person that we love. It happens because, not because of God, it happens because of sin. And then the second thing we know from Genesis chapter 23, if nowhere else, is that even this, see it? Even the, even this, the pain, the horror of death, even that grief, even that misery, God can use that. He uses it for, for our good. He uses even that, 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 that grief and pain for his own honor. I mean, that's what, what Genesis 23 is about, isn't it? Sarah dies. But God uses it for, for greater good. Sarah dies. But Abraham, at the end of this chapter, has secured this big portion of the promised land. God uses death. Like, think about death in, in Scripture. Think about the other examples that we see in Scripture. Lazarus. Yeah? Wait a minute. What about Tabitha from last week? God uses their death. Why? To bring people into to, to salvation. 
That's what he does. Or let's see Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember them? They die. God uses their death. Why? To, to bring the church into a, a greater understanding of his holiness. He uses death. I tell you this. We have to remember that. We have to remember Sarah. And the fact that God uses us. Why do we have to remember it? Well, because not only have we all been there at the funeral, we will be back there again. We're going to be like Abraham was. We are going to be mourning. And we are going to be standing over the grave of a loved one. But what we're seeing in Genesis chapter 23 is not hopeless. There is purpose. There is purpose. God uses, if we keep focused on him, even in grief, he uses that for our eternal joy. We see in the securement of the land, in the securement of the burial plot, we see God's blessing. Blessing through grief. We do. Okay. Let's move on. Secondly, we see the blessing of God chosen above affluence. The blessing of God chosen above affluence. Now, uh, I think it's true. Uh, it's, a, it's an accusation leveled against us as Christians. I think it's true. It's true that sometimes... There is separation between what we are like on Sundays and what we are like the remaining days of the week. Isn't it true that uh, there's a bit of a sort of disconnect or a separation between what we are like at church and what we are like in business or the workplace or in finance, okay? Well, what we see in Genesis chapter 23 here, it should have an impact on our behavior. It should have an impact on our attitude toward business, okay, toward the way that we deal with finances here. So what what, what have we got? Um, well, we've got the fact that Sarah dies. We've seen that. And then we've got the fact that Abraham's looking for this burial plot. Now, we see the problem, do we, that Abraham has got. Abraham, had, he lives this sort of semi-nomadic life and the man doesn't own anywhere that he can bury his his wife. And he's looking for that. We, we, we understand that. So what happens is that he goes to the Hittite people. So these are the people that live in the land. And he asks them if he can buy a burial plot. And then there's, there's actually quite a complicated uh, three-stage sort of negotiation process between Abraham and the Hittites. Now, there are a few things we need to know about this negotiation process, okay? Here's what we've got to do, though. We look at it, this negotiation, and we consider ourselves. We look at this negotiation here, and we consider what we are like with our money and our finances at home and in the workplace, okay? So follow me here, right? First of all, we see an immense degree of integrity on display here. Look, from the, from the word go, from the outside, from the outset in these negotiations, okay, Abraham makes it clear to these Hittites that he is not wanting a kind of sneaky deal. 
He does not want a David Lou on Brick Lane cheap curry for £10. He does not want a sort of sneaky deal here. That Abraham is not trying to, to cheat anyone. Because look at this. Twice we are told in this passage of scripture, twice, that he is wanting to, not just willing to, he is wanting to pay the full price for the land. So do you see there is an, an integrity? There is an, a, an honesty in this. Secondly, we also see that there is, get this, there is a courtesy in these sort of financial business negotiations here. Now, I think we should be fair to the Hittites because there's courtesy from both sides. Did you see how the Hittites greet Abraham in these negotiations? They call him a mighty prince. That is how I want my bank manager to address me. A a mighty prince. I mean, there's real, genuine sort of respect there, isn't there? And then sort of consider Abraham's demeanor. Like, this is this old man. He's a hundred and whatever years old. And he's mourning. But even when he is rejecting their offer out of hand, do you see what he does? He bows before them in humility. There is genuine courtesy in these negotiations. And then there's a third one. This is the last one of these. And it's the most important. We see here with with Abraham a priority that is given to the spiritual rather than the financial gain. And make sure you get it. There is a priority given to the spiritual rather than financial gain. Now, what do I mean? Well, let, let, tell you what, let me illustrate what is going on here. Last year, in here, my Thai microphone broke. I don't think it was us that broke it, um, but it broke. So what we did as a church was approach the, the, the Church of England that we rent all this stuff from. And we made them a very nice offer. We said to them, okay, we'll pay for a replacement. You don't have to worry about it. We'll pay. You don't even have to reimburse us for this. You know what the Church of England people said? They said, no. They said, thanks very much, but no thanks. Now, do you see why? They didn't want a question mark hanging over the ownership of all this microphone equipment. You know, if we bought it and gifted it to them. And let's say in a couple of years' time we were to move away from the church building. Are we allowed to take the microphone? See? I mean, whose is it? I mean, we've gifted it to them, but we paid for it. So whose is it? There's a question mark hanging over it. And you see, that is exactly what we've got going on in Genesis chapter 23. Because a guy who owns the land, he comes out of the woodwork, this boy, Ephron, he says to Abraham, Abraham, do you want the land for free? It's yours for free. What does Abraham say? No. Thanks, man. No thanks. You see why? It's the same reason as the Church of England. Abraham does not want a question mark hanging over the ownership of the land. This is special land. He wants it. He knows that this is the land that God has promised him. And so do you see what he does? He puts his hand in his pocket. And he pays for the land. I'll deal with an objection. He might say to me, but we know that Abraham's rich. We do. He might say, we know that Abraham is wealthy. So it does, what does it matter to him 
that he has to pay here to secure this land. But what we've got to realize, which is not easy in the text, what we've got to realize is that here with Ephron, Abraham is being fleeced. Okay? I mean, Abraham is really and truly being taken for a ride here. You see, Ephron is charging him a phenomenal amount of money for this piece of land. I mean, if we look at all the other places in Scripture where, where land is purchased and land is bought, let's say Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah buys a piece of land. Do you know how much he's charged for it? It's later on, 17 shekels. Do you see how much Abraham is charged here? He's charged not 40, but 400 shekels. That is an enormous amount of money. But do you see what happens? Despite the cost, at sacrificial cost to himself, Abraham puts his hand in his pocket and he pays the money because he wants to follow the will of God. And so let's think about, just for a second, our own attitude to finance. I mean, come on. We are not like this in any way, shape, or form. I mean, tonight, let's be brutally honest. We in here, as Christians, I mean, we are far, far too materially comfortable, aren't we? Let me ask you this. If you were to try and pinpoint... The most affluent place in the history of man. Where would you go? You know, the most wealthy place in the, the whole history of humanity. Where would you go? I reckon the chances are we'd probably go to the 21st century, wouldn't we? We'd go to 2014. And then there's maybe even a chance that we would go to the city of London. And here we are. And yet, our congregation struggles for money. And our denomination struggles for money. And we don't support overseas mission, as we should. And we don't support church planning, as we should. And what do we say about these things? We say, oh, well, uh, you know, as long as I've got the same standard of living as the people I live nearby and don't go above that, then everything's okay. Then can I say to you, if you think like that, that is absolute nonsense. We are supposed to show the people that we live near and with that we do not need the same as them. We do not need the same standard of living. We are supposed to show in, in what we do not have that our dependence is not upon material things. Our dependence is not upon money. Our dependence, our joy in life, it is in Jesus Christ. As we look at Abraham here, and if we look at his willing material sacrifice here, it should, I speak for myself, it should engender repentance before God. Abraham was out of pocket. What did it matter to him? He was serving and following the living God. We see here blessing through, or blessing uh, above 
affluence, seeking blessing above affluence. Okay, third, last point, short point. Let's consider the blessing of God sought with persistence. I was reading this week about land battles in Australia. I'm not talking about physical battles, uh, about legal wranglings. Um, There's many cases um, where the native people, the Aboriginal people, are seeking to be recognised as the true owners of portions of of land. And the point is that they show a, a remarkable degree of resolve in this, you know. That first of all, what they do is challenge the people who are on the land. Then they sort of go to the next step and they challenge in the local courts. And then some of them, and this is what I was reading about, some of them go to the highest court of the land. Well, in this last point, what I really want us to do is just to take a step back and to admire the remarkable determination that Abraham shows here as he seeks to be recognized as the true owner, the legal owner of the the land. Okay? Now, we've seen that he is willing to pay so that there's no question mark. But if we take a step back and look at the whole chapter, we see that that just this whole chapter is about his tenacity. He must be recognized as the legal owner of this land. Okay, now how do we see that? Well, look, we see it in verse 7. I mean, that's why he is bowing before these people. He's willing to be totally humiliated, even as a respectable, wealthy man, willing to be humiliated so that he can secure the land. Get this one, though. That's why we see four times. Okay, I'll give you the verses. Verses 7, 10, 12, 16. Four times we see... Abraham insists that these negotiations happen before all the public. That these negotiations about the land, they have to happen in front of all the people, everyone, the whole crowd, the whole population. Why? Just so that in future there isn't any worry, there isn't any question mark, the land is Abraham's, everybody knows it. That's why as well, twice at the end of the chapter, in verses 17 and verses 20, we see Abraham has the land deeded to him, secured to him. It's repeated so we know it's his. And then, this always gets me, you know, like some sort of detailed estate agent's inventory. Okay, absolutely everything in this sale is recorded for us, you know, thousands of years later at the end here. I mean, we're told about the cave, tick. That's part of the sale. And the field, tick, that's part of the sale. Even the trees, even the very trees that are on this field, they are recorded. Do you see? Abraham is absolutely pursuing this. He must be recognized. He is pursuing the blessing of God. And so as we see Abraham's determination, I want to close tonight by speaking to you If you are in the situation this evening where you are beginning to doubt your salvation. Where there's a question mark over your soul. Where you're beginning to doubt, hang on. Have I got this personal relationship with with Jesus Christ that that I hear about?
do I have that? Well, I would say to you, if that is you and you are in that situation, you must do what Abraham does in these verses here. That you must pursue, even this evening, with all of your might, the eternal blessing of salvation. And I would say to you, and get this please, do not take this lightly. I mean, that's what the Hittites were trying to get Abraham to do. You know, Abraham, did he worry about this, man? You know, just, just assume, just think it's free, this, this, this blessing, this land. Just, just assume this stuff. Friends, do not assume your salvation. It is far too important for that. You see, what do we know? We know that that blessing, your salvation, it comes at a cost. You see, it comes at a price. But the great thing we also know in the gospel is that though it cost not 400 shekels, but it cost his life, Jesus Christ has gone in. He has gone in there. And he has paid that price. So please, I would say, you don't go out of here with that, that, that question mark hanging over your head. I'm sure that you know by now that re- your salvation is by repentance and faith. So do that simply. As Abraham sought the blessing of persistence this evening, you pursue God. Maybe even in the, 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 you know, that silence after the sermon or the silence after the service for a couple of minutes. Pursue God. Bow. And ask Jesus Christ to, to forgive your sin. Let's pray.